The podcast Under the Stairs will feature movie spoilers and language which most listeners will find offensive. to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs, episode number 36. Uh, we are still counting down our top 10 best and worst horror remakes, as selected by yours truly. This is number 5 on that list, um, and I, I mean we're just past the halfway point now, we're working our way down to, to those golden numbers, and... You know, I, my, my energy level has been, it's been dipping. It's not, it's not been of the highest standard and that's because not only I've had great guests on, um, but, you know, there's a lot... This means I've already watched five horrible movies. So I needed to call in a true professional to help me to get back on the straight and narrow. Someone to shake things up. Um, a, a voice that is not too unfamiliar to anyone who listens to horror podcasting or has listened to this show in the past. Um, she was actually just on the previous episode, my one year anniversary episode, is of course Jamie Jenkins, the voice behind such great shows as Liking It, Devour the Podcast, Skeleton Crew, Evil Episodes, Insomniac's Playlist and uh, Direct-to-Video Connoisseur. I'm pretty sure you might have another one somewhere out there, Jamie, I've forgotten. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. And look at you, you rattled them off like a pro. I'm... <laughs> It's getting harder for me to remember what they are, but uh, you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you been doing since I last spoke to you? I'm doing well. I'm, I really am. I'm busy, um, as mm. that list has you know, given you a clue. I'm, I stay busy, but if I don't, then I, I don't know. It's like I'm afraid I'm going to die if I'm not doing something or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, But it's good. It's good busy. I'm having a great time. And I listened to your one-year anniversary show. I want to welcome you. I mean, I want to, and I, you know, I sent you a message there, and, and, and then I was on the show, but I want to tell you here, congratulations again on one year. It, oh, I'm so you. proud of you, and I love you and your show so much. You're just, you're a force. You're amazing. You're a madman. And <laughs> everyone wants to talk to you because of who you are. And so I think that uh, I'm so looking forward to a whole other year of podcast under the stairs because under the stairs, not the scares. Yeah, <laughs> yeah David. <laughs> because I stand by that. Uh, and okay. All that, although that is kind of clever, <laughs> I'll concede, but I stand by the, the original title and, yeah. um, <laughs> I don't want to be under the scares. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, I want to be on top of that. I want to be on top of those. Scares. Yeah, you want to own not those scares. Of course. I don't want to be under them. <laughs> And That's I want to just... thank you for the amazing things that you said about me on your show. I was blushing while I was listening to it. You're, you're just, you're sweet. Oh, well, yeah, you know, I've said, I've said it before. I mean, you, your show, um, in fact, your two shows, Devour the Podcast and Skeleton Crew, are directly, you know, uh, cited as influences for me anyway for for podcasting. But I mean, I, I'd been spe I'd, I'd been speaking to you for I think I think it was close to like three or four months before podcasting under the stairs even existed and if it hadn't been for your encouragement 
kind of pushing onwards and saying, you know, you can do your own show and all you have to do is just go and do it. Um, I would never have, I would never have taken that step. So, um, the fact that you gave us encouragement, you were there on the very first episode as well. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of kept me centered because I see, I, I see how much time you dedicate to it. Um, over the various different shows and the level of professionalism you bring to those shows and that's just an inspiration for me to make sure that I continue doing my shows at the level that I'm doing if not better so um, that's why I'm so glad that you are the fu- this is kind of there's a weird like sort of relationship here a simpatico because you are officially the first guest on the podcast after the one year anniversary and you were the first guest on the first show Aww. so there you go <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that, that is amazing. It really is. And Baz did such a great job when he was doing the question section. <laughs> I just, I love, I love him. I, <laughs> I do oh. love him. And I'm glad that he's getting, like, he has his own little fan base. And Baz V Horror is such an, such an awesome idea and an amazing segment. And so it makes me really happy that, uh, that he's having such a good time with it. And then when you guys are together, you clearly have a good time and he's quick too i yeah. have to say like he is he is quick and funny and so um hi to baz too yeah <laughs> yeah there'll be a lot of that coming up uh october uh, we're having a whole five weeks of baz v halloween so um we're going to go through the entire paranormal activity franchise just because i don't know if you remember baz couldn't finish the first one he switched off after 20 minutes and had to delete it from his tivo box because um, it scared them that much. So I believe that the only way to get over your fears is to face them directly, and I've assured them by the fifth one, he'll be so over that franchise, it's unbelievable. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, that won't <laughs> be a problem for long. Yeah. And I but love I how for you, for you believe that the best way to get past your fears is to face them. Yeah, especially when it's Baz facing his fears for comedic value on your show. Yeah, That's- of, course, <laughs> of, of course. I'm not, I'm not going to face my fears. That's terrible. <laughs> uh, I help Baz. Those those that can't do teach Jamie. Um, so uh, so yeah, I've got um, I've I've picked I've hand selected movies to go alongside each of the paranormal activity movies, which I think they might not not all necessarily scare them, but I think they're they're movies that I think are almost essential for horror fans. So they'll be a lot of fun, and then that culminates in our our. Uh, video commentary for Halloween, the Halloween episode, which will be uh, Grave Encounters, which I know for a fact will scare the ever-living oh, shit out of them. That's an excellent film. I, yeah. I, I'm excited for that. I can't wait to, to so, hear that. Also, please, hear, if he's a Cronenberg fan, good for him. Yeah, yeah I mean, this is... The, the, uh, he's, um, it's funny, because he... He's seen the he'd seen things like um, Eastern Promises and the History of Violence, but didn't realise that that director had like a massive... A massive career beforehand. So after Videodrome, every now and again we'll we'll be speaking. They'll say um, something about Cronenberg, and I'm like, dude, he's got so many movies that you know are really interesting. I need to check out, and he's been mentioning it more and more recently. So I think that's the thing that's going to happen. Yeah. And I think he pretty much said, if we're doing it, then you have to come on. So. Ah, uh-huh. well, you know, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Force me with a gun to my temple if uh, I have to. <laughs> So yeah, so um, aye, so it should be it should be really good, but yeah, it's kind of kind of freaky to think that's a that's the first year down, um, and obviously I, this show's now on a countdown to, um, its first official change uh, where it will become like basically a podcast under the stairs version, 
um, starting in November, so the the show kind of will change how it's presented, um, some of the format will change and things like that as well. So um, it'll be quite interesting to see how that goes down and we'll very much look forward to having you back on at that point as well to, to check out the new digs. Um, but like I ask all my guests at the start of every single podcast, um, what have you been checking out in the last week in the terms of you know, like kind of horror, movies, books, anything like that at all? Well, um, you know what? I am really excited about the latest issue of Horror Hound. Um, mm. Do you get Horror Hound over there? I don't think we do. I think I could probably. Okay. I, well, I wonder, do they do it? They must do it for like tablets and things, I would imagine. I would admit. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they, everyone pretty much does these days. But this one has, if you're a fan of Stephen King films, then um, it has a beautiful piece of artwork that's the centerfold uh, by an artist called... Uh, Paul Garner, and yeah. I actually posted a picture of this on the Devour page, so you can see it. But he did um, he did an illustration that includes all the characters from the various Stephen King films, uh, like from Thinner and The Shining and Salem's Lot and It. Oh, I'm looking at it right and now, it's awesome. It's yeah, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. I want to see if I can actually. I want to try to get a print of this because it is gorgeous. And um, this, and in this issue, they go through, they do a write-up of all the Stephen King films. And it's just, you know, it's a, it's a nice little thing. So that way, if you are a fan and maybe there's something that you've missed, then you can uh, you can find out about it. I just love Horror Hound Magazine. It, it's, it's beautiful. It's really beautifully put together. So that's been fun. I picked that up. And... Oh, yeah. uh, in the theater, and I know you saw this too, I went to see As Above, So Below, mm-hmm. and I really liked it. I was <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was impressed. Um, I felt like it had the claustrophobia and the atmosphere of something like The Descent. Um, there were a couple of scenes where, you know, because it takes place in the French catacombs. So there are a couple of scenes where I felt truly claustrophobic. You know, um, mm. when they're crawling through the tight spaces, and uh, I just thought it was very well done. And so, I, I honestly, after seeing the trailer, I was not all that excited about seeing that film. But this uh, this last Saturday, I wasn't doing anything else, and I said, you know what, I want to go to the movies. Uh, let me see, let me just check it out. And I'm so glad that I did because I think a theatrical experience for that film is the best way to go. You know, because you're surrounded in you know by darkness and then the surround sound. Um, it just sort of put me there, and it was a really fun experience. Yeah, um, I took. Um, I took. Listen to me. Uh, the Baz came along with me, um, and as I think he was saying that's the first horror movie he's seen at the cinema in years. He can't remember if he saw the first Saw movie at the cinema. I can't remember if he saw it there or if he caught it on television. But um, we both went, and. Uh, it was quite funny being in a cinema experience for him because he about shot himself um, <laughs> during, not necessarily during the film where there was a couple of really classic Baz moments, but when the trailer for Annabelle came on, oh, I, and the, there was a jump scare in that, and he went, "Oh shit!" like that, and I looked up and I went, "Really? This is a trailer, Baz." <laughs> You know what I mean? The, the movie hasn't even started yet. This is just a trailer, um, so. Yeah, I, I thought there was a lot of things which, are very much like yourself, I mean, I, I had to sit through the rather unpleasant Devil's Due experience this year, uh, found footage, and kind of thinking to myself, I'm kind of over this now, you know, 
Um, and I didn't really want to to check out anything else. If I was honest, I'd like and that that kind of found footage element. I just really, especially in that film, especially when it comes from a big studio, it just kind of it got to the point where I like I don't understand if this is a large studio putting this out and these are real actors in your movie because these are people I've seen doing other things I don't understand why we're doing the movie film footage you know what I mean just play the movie as a movie that's what I want to see so when they announced this one I was kind of the same I was kind of like Ugh. I kind of looked the, the thing is the trailer to me looked like a cross between The Descent meets The Borderlands um, mm-hmm. and I was like yeah I was like I'll, I'll go and check it out you know I'll, I'll go and see it anyway if anything it'll be a good experience for Baz and I was there was a whole hell of a lot I really dug about the movie like yourself the claustrophobia right actually very in the beginning and there's a, a kind of scene where one of them's crawling through over the top of bones and gets trapped yeah that's what that's I was talking about <laughs> right right early in the movie and I'm like oh, already I'm feeling quite claustrophobic um, I love the fact that they, they didn't play it I mean, they, they had a bit of fun with the movie. I mean, there's elements of this movie. Like, we we were laughing in the cinema because Bass turned around to me at some point and went, is this Harry Potter? Because he kept talking about the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, and Nicholas um, Flamel. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, that, that, so we're having a wee laugh at that. There was elements of something like National Treasure in there, you know, the Nick Cage mm-hmm. film, where they're having to decipher puzzles in rooms to get out of them. Which, I mean, I like movies like that anyway because it's giving you something else. It's not just people running around holding a camera. There's other things to get in. Um I thought some of the some of the jump scare effects were really good. Uh, I thought the way it was shot was impeccable. I really liked the look of the film. Um I thought the ending was a bit interesting. I, I I'm not hundred percent sold in the ending, but I think if I go back and rewatch it, I might enjoy it a bit more. It's just not what I was expecting. Um and obviously I can't spoil it on here. <laughs> but for the for the most part, I think it, it's done what very few found footage films have done in a studio environment at the cinema in the last four or five years, and that's deliver a really good, interesting story first and foremost, mm-hmm. and then develop scares around it. So yeah, I was I was I was quite I was quite surprised and impressed by it. I, yeah, I felt like it almost played out like a video game. Yeah, and it, like a first person video game, and like with the puzzles. And everything uh-huh. just sort of added to that. And even though you don't have to solve the puzzles, you know, you're watching them do it. It just sort of, um, I felt like I was there. I really liked that element. Um, and as far as like, yeah, the the jump scare, one of them um, got me. I mean, got me big time. <laughs> and it's and it's not even, the thing I like about it is not just something jumping out at you going boo. Like it's it's actually frightening other than just a jarring sound. And something right. sudden, you know, I felt like it was actually a frightening moment. And um, that's kind of hard to pull off sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I was I was really impressed. So impressed, as a matter of fact, that I offered Bo <laughs> a money back guarantee. So and I'm get I'm trying to get him to go see this movie. And I told him that if he goes to see this movie and he does not like it, I will refund his ticket price. <laughs> And I'm hoping he takes me up on that because, especially now, because knowing that you liked it too, I think I'm pretty solid. Like I'm pretty, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty I, safe. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think even even if it doesn't necessarily scare him or anything like that, I think there's enough in that movie to mine out to talk about afterwards, sure. which just a lot of found footage movies don't have. You well, know, they're, they're smart. completely superficial, and it does it has it has a certain intellect about it, which which I I, I admired. I thought I thought it was done. 
I was it was it was not the the film I thought I was going to see, and I'm actually quite glad of that. Yeah. Um, another thing I watched, and I <laughs> I thought I had seen this movie years ago, and it had been sitting on my Netflix queue because I was going to watch it again because I couldn't remember a whole lot about it, but I just knew I'd seen it. it turns out I hadn't, and it was Black Death, the Sean Bean film, and I was I've like. Not Either, See, I thought I had, and it turns out I think I'm confusing it with Season of the Witch. Yeah, Season of the Witch is yeah. that not the same movie? No, it's not. I mean, <laughs> See, that's it. Um, Season of the Witch is the Nicolas Cage film, but this is the Sean Bean film, and um, it takes place during the plague, and they're like they're going to this village that has not been touched by the plague, but there are um, there are rumors of. Like, basically, the, this village has tossed God out the window. And mm-hmm. so, they're, um, these are like, uh, he's a, I'm not sure what you'd call him, but anyway, they're, they're agents of God, and they're going out here to, to this village. But what I find, again, I was surprised by this film. I was not expecting it to include all of the things that it did. And when I'm watching it, I was kind of like, wow, I was really surprised, because they put up these like this whole interesting, dis- well, it's a, hmm. They compare faith versus um, superstition, um, God versus atheism versus just evil. I mean, I was it was a lot smarter than I thought it would be, and it actually made you think, which I appreciate. So I actually yeah. recommend that film, and I'd heard I had heard some lukewarm stuff about it, which is why it took me so long to get around to watching it. What I thought was again, but it turns out no, I'd never seen it before. So. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm glad that I did. Uh, I'm just and, checking there. The, the the director is actually as a director. I didn't even realize this was part of. But he did Creep, which I love. Which is the kind of don't know if you've ever seen it. Set in the London underground system, as a woman gets trapped in there with like a rat mm-mm. creature. Really, really good. Worth checking out. He followed that movie up with Severance, which is a oh, British yeah. kind of horror comedy, which I really like. The movie he did after that was Triangle, which I dig a lot. I love Triangle. Well, he made Triangle, he made Black Death the year after, so... Well then, you know, right. check it out, because I, I think it... Um, I, 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 I think it doesn't get a lot of praise, but I think it, there's a lot more involved there than you'd expect there to be. So I would recommend that just to just to see what I'm talking about. I think toward especially when it gets toward the end. So there are some really interesting moments. And um, also the documentary, this was a documentary that was recommended to me by David. And uh, you know that I watched it because uh, you saw me post about it on Facebook, but it's a serial killer culture. And that was a pretty fascinating doc. It talks talks to all the people who collect uh, murderabilia and who write letters to serial killers and have their artwork and things like that, which is a completely interesting thing. I mean, I have this whole serial killer fascination anyway. Mm-hmm. And people who are fascinated, who are also fascinated by serial killers, fascinate me. Um, and then they talked to the people who do the Dahmer tours in, in uh, Milwaukee. There's a walking Jeffrey Dahmer tour that you can go on, and they they go to the site of his job in the chocolate factory, and you know to where his uh, his apartment building used to be, but his apartment building has since been uh, um, torn down, and to the bar where he would meet people, and and you know, and it talks about some of the backlash that they've had from doing that tour. And uh, why people think it's a good idea, why people don't think it's a good idea, but you know that. Th- 
and the fact that they're not, they don't see themselves as glorifying what these people have done. And that's the way I look at it. I have a strong fascination with serial killers, but it's not that I like what they do. And it's not that I condone what they do or that I wish to glorify what they do. But I feel that it's incredibly important for us to explore these dark sides of human nature in order to understand ourselves. Um, you know, I think it's difficult if you only look at the good side of humans or the bright side of life, you can't get a complete understanding of who we are as a species. And so in order for me and my own curiosity to attempt to understand who we are, I like to delve into the dark parts because that is a part of who we are. And I think it's important to get a full, well-rounded picture of humans on the whole. So um, if you have a fascination with this sort of thing or if you find it interesting in the least, this is a really good documentary and I recommend it. Yeah, I need to try and check it. I, well, I tried to check to see if it was on Netflix over here and it isn't yet. So hopefully it makes an appearance in the not-too-distant future. Because, yeah, it certainly sounds like... I'm very much like yourself. I um, have a... Uh, it's not even a morbid fascination. I just have a fascination with um, the kind of psychopathology that, that surrounds things like serial killers mm-hmm. um, and, the, and the culture that comes with it. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's top of my list. I knew you'd um, appreciate that. And it's also oh, yes. made by the same guy who made the H.H. H. Holmes and the Albert Fish documentaries. Oh, right. I've seen both of them as well. And they are excellent. Um, I think the the fish one, I prefer the fish one over the, no, actually they're both good. Um, <laughs> they're both really good. So this is made by the same guy. So he has, uh, you know, he's well steeped in serial killer knowledge and, um, you know, God, that sounds probably really horrible to a lot of people out there. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I stand by it. <laughs> Oh, anyone listening to this must have an idea. That's the sort of stuff that gets mentioned every now and again on here. I think when when Johnny Craig was on last week, um, we ended up spending a good twenty minutes, I think, talking about um, why people should check out last podcast on the left if they haven't yet. Um, for that very reason that they they delve into the the really dark parts of humanity, but they do kind of there are three comedians that do it. Um, and they look at things like serial killers and stuff like that, and they'll dedicate like two, three part shows on serial killers, and they're brilliant. Um, but they, in a lot of ways, they're making fun of the serial killer himself to try and derive comedy from it, whilst at the same time informing you some of the most horrible things uh, humans have done. So, um, yeah, I, I, I need to check that out for sure. Um, I've actually not watched. I want to say I've watched a lot, but a lot of what I've watched are films I've already seen before, so I haven't really been out to check anything new, apart from, like you said, As Above, So Below. Um, I did finally get a chance to sit down and watch my uh, Steelbook Blu-ray copy of Phantom of the Paradise. Um, That is beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's such... I I mean, it still blows my mind that De Palma did that so early in his career. I, I just can't get my head around that, you know, um, and I, 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 obviously I wasn't around when it came out, so I just can't understand how a movie like that didn't just inst- instantly have success, why it took a cult following to push that forward, because the music's excellent, the characters are all really interesting, it looks gorgeous, um, it has kind of an iconic villain, 
Um, and our Phantom character is also iconic. It's just like a really, really good movie. Um, the colors, nice the colors, oh, yeah. it's so, and that transfer is, is amazing. But the, um, you know how I feel about color palette. We talk about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But to me, that is a, just a, a beautiful example. It's stunning. Mm-hmm. It's really stunning. That's, it's kind of it, it was the time with the the fact I've been on a bit of a De Palma binge recently, so um, so checked that out and went back and checked out Big Bad Wolves. Uh, me and my wife watched that. I saw it earlier on in the year and obviously podcasted about it, but my wife hadn't seen it, so um, we sat and we watched that together. Um, I tried to watch, and this is the first time this has happened to me in a long time. I tried to watch a movie and I switched off about halfway through it. Oh. I tend to watch a movie right through at the end, regardless. You know, I do too. I, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know if I need to. I don't know if it gets better by the end. But the movie was called The Tripper, and it's David Arquette's. Oh yeah, I actually have that. My mother gave that to me for my birthday several years ago. Does like... it finish strong, Jamie? <laughs> You know, I've only seen it once. I honestly don't remember a whole lot about it. I watched it right after she gave it to me, and I don't. I remember thinking it was okay. Um, so I, what I need to do is go back and watch it again, honestly, because yeah. I can't give you an honest. <laughs> if any of the listeners have checked it out, let me know on Facebook. Is it worth my while checking the rest of that movie out? Um, and then I've kind of. Well, we were speaking about this off air. Um, the the kind of week has now been set for when we're doing the roundtable discussion on Argento. So I've I've kind of started my my slog through the the nineteen Argento movies that I will need to watch in time to do that recording. So um, we kicked it off where you should kick it off right at the very start. So um, I got a chance to sit down and check out the Bird with the Crystal Plumage which is a favourite of mine. I really enjoy that movie. And I've also checked out Deep Red this week, which, once again, oh another my God. movie. Just That's my favourite Argento, honestly. Him in, him in the 70s, honestly. See, in the 70s, well, you hear this. In 1970, Argento released Bird with a Crystal Plumage, Cat and Nine Tails, Four Flies and Grey Velvet, Deep Red and Suspiria. I mean, holy fuck. What a decade. <laughs> I know. And I just did on Insomniac's playlist the this last week my show was dedicated to the music of Ennio Morricone. And he scored all three of the Animal Trilogy. He scored um Four Flies on Grey Velvet, Cat and Nine Tails, and Bird with a Crystal Plumage. And I chose the score from Cat and Nine Tails to highlight on the show because that's my favorite. But um it's it's Morricone. They're all good. Um but yeah, it made me want to go back and watch all of those again. But I'm, I think what I'm going to do in preparation for listening to that show is I want to go back and watch them again because it's not honestly like it's a chore. It's yeah. something I enjoy doing. And Deep Red is my favorite Argento. I, oh, I love, I love yeah. that film. Everything about that movie is awesome. Even, I mean, that's the first time we watched The Goblin. So The, the Goblin score, which is amazing. Um, and, oh yeah, I think that, that to me is where he's... I mean, he does deep red and then falls out of Suspiria. It's just and I, I mean, controversially <laughs> enough, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to give away my hand. Um, Suspiria and Deep Red are in my top three, but aren't my favourite. So interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you'll need to. You'll well, need now to I have wait. to know. I mean, we yeah. don't. I'll have to listen. Well, I mean, I was going to listen yeah. anyway, but I now I. Extra, I extra have to listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see. So. Um, yeah, but I'm not going to give any more of that. Your but, lineup um, for that show is going to be really fun too. 
Yeah, because uh, I can announce that. Uh, I think I've already announced it, but I'll announce it again. So we're going to have Johnny Krug, who listeners are now very familiar with because he's been in quite a lot recently. Um, we're going to have, uh, for the first time since Halloween last year, uh, Dave Zandano from Banana Laser is going to be coming back on. He's going to be doing the show. And he is about the biggest Argento fan I've ever met. So... Um, I'm expecting, as much as I know, I'm expecting to be schooled on quite a lot by him. Um, and we're going to have a colleague of yours, uh, David Anders Jr., who's not been on the show since... Try to work this out. He did the Wicker Man review last year for the top 10 countdown of the best of British horror. So it'll be the first time he's been on the show since then. So I'm looking forward to having him on as well. So it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a fantastic lineup. David, of course, you know, I love him. Dave is so enthusiastic and he's amazing to talk to. He comes on Skeleton Crew all the time. Uh, we're good friends. And Johnny Krug just always brings it. And I loved listening to his segment on your anniversary show. He's just, he's really good. And so I'm, that's going to be a really fascinating show. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be good to finally get that one down. And then, um, I'm going to speak to you off air about the third round table because um, I have my first guest lined up for that, first guest host, and I think you might want involved with that one as well. I think that's going to be a topic you're going to be really excited about, Ooh. and that's going to be out for about Christmas time. So, um, And on that mysterious, elusive <laughs> moment, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a very short break. When we return, we've got two news stories for you right after this. And welcome back to the news. So, like I said, two news stories for myself and Jamie Jenkins to discuss. Can't get that word out there, it's stuck. Um, So the first one uh, is a story from Shock Till You Drop. And I didn't know anything about this at all. It started appearing in my Facebook thread yesterday. um, Quite a lot of posts about this. About a movie called Carver. So the trailer officially dropped for it. It's a slasher movie. Didn't know much about it at all until I went to the website and then found out the mind-blowing fact that the filmmaker is actually only 14 years old. So let me give you some information. So it says, um, around this time last year, uh, Shock Till You Drop were telling you about Emily De Primo. I think that's how you pronounce that. Primio? I think it's De Primio. Um... De Primio. We'll I don't know. That. We'll go with that. You, you, <laughs> I, I bow to your intellect. Um, <laughs> That's a mistake right there. <laughs> uh, a 13-year-old who was out to make a slasher film and turned to crowdfunding to make it happen. A year later, Emily's now 14 and her film is complete. The trailer made its debut um, and it looks like a fun slasher. And did she work a crane shot in there? Damn, that's cool. I certainly wasn't doing that at 14. This is Ryan Turek that said that. I won't tell you what I was working when I was 14. Um, (laughs) This film is about a group of teenagers who were haunted by a despicable act they committed on Halloween when they were younger. Their actions caused the death of three innocent people. Now, on the anniversary of those deaths, an ominous calling card in the form of a carved pumpkin has been placed at each of their homes. Someone is out for revenge. The question is, who? A killer who wears a pumpkin mask. That's who. Check out the trailer. So, um, you can check this trailer out. Uh, It's online. You can check it out on the official website which is carvermovie.com and um, I mean the trailer looks alright it's, it's 
I mean, I'm saying the trailer looks alright as if I've ever made a movie that had a trailer. Um, I think the bigger story point here is the fact that one, like a 13-year-old, managed to work the crowdfunding situation, fund their own movie and actually see their movie realised. And I think that, to me, is is huge. I, I mean, that just goes to show how much things have moved on. Um, I really am so impressed that, I mean, like I said, when I was... 14 i think i still play, i think i still had lego when i was 14 um this this person's went out and obviously this ties into a conversation me and jamie were having off air about kids growing up and appreciating the horror movies and taking it forward the next step actually doing your own movie and getting it out there um is a hard enough achievement when you're an adult and uh, there's a lot of people that don't do it the fact that this kid's managed to do it is is pretty fucking cool in my books what do you think jamie I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> it is a huge accomplishment. and the, But the thing that excites me the most about it is that this 14-year-old, well, 13 when she started, wants to make a slasher film, uh-huh. You know, which means that she loves, she obviously has a love of slasher films. And that's something that I did have at that age and I can totally get behind. So, and watching this trailer... It looks like it looks like a first film, yeah. to be honest. You know, in in a lot of ways. So I'm not going to say that. But I mean, but fuck, she's 14. You know, it's like it. I don't even know if if I made a movie at 14, which I didn't. I didn't make my first movie until several years later. So I don't even know what that would have even looked like. It would not have been this good, mm-hmm. you know. And it's you know it's actually. It looks like it's going to be pretty violent. Um, like it's got some pretty intense moments. I, I'm impressed. I am yeah. impressed, and and I'm really anxious to see it. And I want to encourage her to keep going. You yeah. know, because uh, it you know, with with hard work, it'll only get better. And it doesn't really look like she's going to have that far to go <laughs> before it's going to be really good. You know, um, I think it looks like, and of course, this is just a trailer. But and so you can make anything look good and it look better than it is in a trailer, and we all know that. But I think just from what we have here, the shots that we have here, the amount of direction that was involved in doing what we saw, it looks like she has definitely a solid start, and that is really impressive. And I'm really proud of her. I, you know, that's wow. I want to meet this kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think um, the fact it's also it sounds like it's it's set. About Halloween time, um, and the fact there's kind of things like carved pumpkins and that that sort of symbology in there as well. I'm totally down with this. Um, and like you say, it does the the way it looks. It looks like someone's first movie. But if you told me that you know a 25 year old had made that trailer, I would have went, yeah, that seems like a first movie. You you then tell me a 14 year old did that then, you know, it piques my interest so much more. Um, yeah, and gets and you get a huge pass. Uh, yeah, for, oh, definitely. That, yeah. You know, I would definitely not be judging this film as harshly as I would if it were, say, a 30 year old, you know, or, you know, it's uh, because that feat alone. And I'm curious to know uh, like, I want to know more about this. I want to know exactly how much of, I mean, did she do all of this mm-hmm. on her own as far as like direction goes? Did she have one, someone, you know, um, mentoring her on this? Did she write the script for this? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, all these things I'm really curious about now, and I want to know. And 
and I'm just I'm fascinated. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, more news will come out um, closer to when the the movie finally actually makes a, a, a appearance. So whether it's uh, I doubt it'll be cinematic. It'll more likely be VOD. But um, I, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to check it out anyway, just to see what a kid can do with something like that. Because essentially, you're you're getting someone with all the enthusi- all the enthusiasm of what it was like to be like in your early teens and watching horror movies, actually making a horror movie. That's, I, I think it's going to be quite energetic and a lot of fun. So I look forward to checking that out. I'll tell you what, I'm also looking forward to check out, Jamie. What's that? And I really actually can't wait for this. I mean, this is like going to be one of the highlights of my year, which is the fourth season of American Horror Story. That is American Horror Story Freak Show. Oh. Yeah, I've been seeing I've been seeing the teasers for it. Oh man, when I was watching so the Strain, yeah, um, and they you know they throw little teasers in and the date you know, and I'm already excited. I mean, well, I've been excited since they announced that it was coming. You know, yeah. even before we knew what the theme was going to be, I just love this series so much that they could do anything, and I'm going to be right there on the edge of my seat. Yeah, but then I- when I found out the theme, I was even more excited because you know, you know exactly how dark and twisted they can go. So I'm just, I'm thrilled. And then as I see the teasers, it looks good. It, like it just, uh, visually it looks so good. I can't stand it. <laughs> I can't stand it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. I mean, um, the last series came in for a bit of criticism. Um, I don't share that criticism. Neither do um, I. That, you know, it was a bit too goofy and a bit too campy and all the rest. And I, I, I don't want, American Horror Story to release every single season it to be more horrific and darker and more twisted than the previous season because all that does is shorten the shelf life of that program overall. You can't keep doing stuff which you know is more twisted and more dark and more sinister than the previous season. Every now and again you need to take and I mean horror's not like that. Not every horror subgenre or every horror story is even more dark and twisted and it doesn't work that way. Horror covers a huge spectrum and you have to take the kind of camp stuff in there. You have to take the the more comical stuff in there. You need to be able to cover the whole base. And that's what I've always enjoyed about American Horror Story, is I think that the guys behind that show have a real idea of how to be really quirky. And when they need to, they can drop something on that show which is draw-dropping. I mean, you'll sit there and just go, this is absolutely one of the most sinister things I've seen on television. But in the same episode, they can have a sing-along song. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's that's what I love about that show, is you never know what you're going to get with it, and they always keep me guessing. So, um, like you had said, there's been more teaser trailers dropped. According to Shock Till You Drop, three more arrived uh, for American Horror Story Freak Show. Uh, they are called Twisted Smile, Open Wide, and Sword Swallower. Um, the next story arc of the FX series kicks off on October the 8th, which is not that far away, folks. Um, for those that don't know much about this new season of the show, American Horror Story Freak Show begins uh, its tale in the quiet, sleepy hamlet of Jupiter in Florida. The year is 1952. A troop of curiosities has just arrived to town, coinciding with the strange emergence of a dark entity that savagely threatens the lives of the townsfolks and freaks alike. 
This is the story of the performers and their desperate journey to sur- uh, of survival amidst the dying world of the Amer- American Carney experience. Of course, Emmy Award winning actress Jessica Lange returns, which I believe for the last season that she said anyway, as Elsa Mars, Academy Award winner Kathy Bates plays Ethel Darling, uh, celebrated actress Angela Bassett is Desiree Dupree. Uh, Sarah Paulson will do double duty as Siamese twins Betty and Dot Tatler. Uh, Evan Peters plays Jimmy Darling and Emma Roberts is Maggie. Um, so, I mean, even the poster, I'm looking at the poster just now and I'm so excited for this. And I love the fact that Kathy Bates is playing the bearded lady. I just That, that just makes me smile from ear to ear. I think that's such a... I, I mean, because both herself and Jessica Lange just picked up Emmys for the show for the, the previous season so it, it wasn't as bad as everyone said it was well when I say everyone the, the the few that didn't like that show so yeah this is like I mean October 8th is just over a month away and it, it legitimately is the show especially this this half of the year is the one I'm most looking forward to and I've had a lot of good telly this year um, but you know you know when uh, American Horror Story kicks off you're on the countdown to Halloween so it's all oh, yeah. Good. Walking Dead, too, um, is going to be coming back, which excites me. And personally, I can tell you that to this date, American Horror Story has done no wrong in my eyes. They have never done me wrong. I have never been displeased with any of their seasons. And so for all the naysayers out there, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. I don't even Murder House. I was in I was in love with them from the first season and I know a lot of people had issues with that I just didn't get it I I adore that show so yeah. I'm the same I'm the same from I've not done anything yet I've not put anything out that I've not liked so um, I can't wait I actually can't wait so that wraps up our news section we're going to take a very short break you're going to hear the trailer for number 5 on the worst horror remakes as selected by the podcast under the stairs is of course 2006's Black Christmas. Um, we're going to take a very short break, build herself up to a state of complete outrage, um, and we're going to return to discuss that movie right after this. Movies need only three things. Badasses. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Boobs. Do you know that the female breast, known to be the source of life since Eve, can be deadly weapons? And body counts. Body count. The mathematics of murder. The BBNBC podcast discusses lesser-known action, exploitation, and horror cult cinema. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, and SoundCloud by searching for BBNBC Podcast. You can also listen to each episode directly on the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Got the goddamn message? Let's go to work. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful? thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities. Then you've got the wrong 
Satan Show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.krugernation.com. Fifteen years ago, on Christmas Eve, his family became his victims. What have you done? A group of college friends That sucks, everyone should be home for Christmas Are about to discover Lauren, we're opening up presents Why don't you open the present we got you? Their house I got it Is his home All is calm, all is bright Who is in my house tonight? Don't you have lots of toys to deliver to good little boys and girls? You really shouldn't provoke somebody like and on December 25th... You're definitely getting punked. Is that Santa's reindeer? All he wants for Christmas... Is Megan in her room? Is a new family he can treat... like his very own... Welcome back. So you have just heard the trailer for 2006's Black Christmas Remake. So like we've been doing with every single one of these reviews thus far, is we take a very, very quick look at the original. We have a small chat about that if we have seen it. I know Jamie has seen the original Black Christmas, so we're all good. Um, And then we'll go on to discuss the movie. Um, I will kick us off with Black Christmas, um, because I know you have quite a lot to say about it, Jamie. Um, And then... (laughs) Come our next review, uh, The Blob, uh, you will take point on that one. So, um, the original Black Christmas came out in 1974. Um, it was directed by Bob Clark. Uh, it was written by Roy Moore. Um, the synopsis for that movie was, A sorority house is terrorised by a stranger who makes frightening phone calls and then murders the sorority sisters during Christmas break so um this is a movie i grew up with um and absolutely love um it was funny you you posted earlier on about the fact you were watching this and um uh, jason lloyd had had got involved with the conversation and other people were getting involved and, and and rightly pointed out that this movie in a lot of respects is really one of the kind of first slasher movies um in terms of the the kind of new wave that we got coming up through the eighties, not like the the original sort of cycle peeping tom, which Dave Zandano did point out, and I totally agree with him. Peeping tom and cycle are both slasher movies, but you then jump to nineteen seventy four before 
someone else tries to take on that mantle and do something like that. Um, and I think it works. Re- I think it's a phenomenal movie. I think it still holds up. It works really well in that um, there's a lot of suspense built up in that movie. Um, and a, lo- a lot of the suspense is just built up during the really freaky and horrible telephone calls that happen during that that um that movie um the the fact that there's a repeated use of the word cunt gets a tick from duncan straight away um any movie that does that get a tick from me um <laughs> but i love the fact that it's, it's not an overly gory movie it doesn't have to be an overly gory movie there's very little at all if any um and it just plays to its strengths which are you know what is in the dark what is that noise in the attic um is there something under my bed um who's the person on the other end of the phone where is the person on the other end of the phone these sort of things to me are what sell that movie and i think it's incredibly well shot as well and it feels like christmas there's something about it that just instantly i mean i i might shock you to know this jamie but i never went to a sorority house um (laughs) you didn't I didn't. I didn't pledge to any sorority, um, much to the dismay of my sisters. Uh, <laughs> Wait, so you would have been a legacy if you? <laughs> of course. Is there any other house? If there is, I don't want to be part of that. Um, so uh, you know, I, I, there's just something like I just that house feels like Christmas is happening, um, and. I mean, I had a really good cast as well. You've got Margaret Kidder in there. Um, you've got uh, John Saxon, who anytime John Saxon appears as a police officer in a movie, I'm like, yep, John will save the day. John knows where it's at. Um, but it's like everything about it, even just the way the story unfolds and the the, the misdirection of it. Is it this person? Is it this person? Um, it's it's just really well done. Um, and I still think it's I still think to this day it's a movie that I don't often watch it actually I'm I'm not one of these ones that you know shoves it on about the Christmas time or whatever but um, I still really enjoy it I, I mean what what what's your thoughts on the original Black Christmas Jamie I love it and I'm so glad that you brought up the point about where it sits as far mm-hmm. as being a slasher and I mean yes and and. So with with Psycho and Peeping Tom, you do get POV, um, which they sort of came around roughly the same time, and and you know there's that. But people then tend to horror fans tend to skip right over this film and jump to Halloween. Yeah. And everyone wants to give Halloween, you know, a lot of credit. Now Halloween is a fantastic film. I'm not going to take anything away from that uh, at all. But you. I feel that you cannot skip over Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I honestly feel like Carpenter must have seen Black Christmas before he made Halloween. It's mm-hmm. just and, and I'm not saying that Halloween stole anything from it, but I'm just saying that there are there are I think uh, clear examples of at least inspiration. And so what we get here is a really creepy atmosphere. It looks beautiful. The, the, uh, everything about it, it does feel Christmassy. It does feel cold. It feels like winter. It feels uh, very claustrophobic because of that. And then it, it feels very isolated because they're in this place and it, it's the Christmas holidays. So everyone's gone home. And mm. it's just, 
I think everything is set up beautifully as far as that's concerned. You also get this through line of the whole abortion thing that's that's running through, which yeah. I find really interesting uh, considering the time period. And then you have Margot Kidder who is cussing and drinking like a champ. <laughs> she is one of my favorite characters in any film ever uh, just because I really identify with her. <laughs> but you know i mean it's a it's a pretty well-known fact if you don't cuss i don't trust you like it's just it's just that's just and she like she lays it out and every time she's on screen i am just uh, i'm elated i i love everything about her so i feel that you get to you get endeared to these characters in this short amount of time you know you get to to where you enjoy them and the house mother is she was also in deranged and this woman plays she i just, I just love any time i see her I actually oh, I, is she the woman that is she the woman that is the clairvoyant yes oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh that's brilliant because she tries to tell she tries to tell the guy that um that her <laughs> husband so- is uh talking to her from the grave and he said that they, they should sit together yeah yeah and <laughs> She to me, she just has this uh, beautiful character work about her, you know. And then throughout this film, you know, she's hiding the booze, and she's like, I mean, she's just a hoot. So I mean, all of these different characters have so many different aspects. Like they're not cookie cutter, you know. They are, um, and no pun intended, as far as the remake is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but just from beginning to end and then the phone calls themselves um it's just you know that horrible baby sound it, yeah. uh, it just runs chills all over me and there are things about this film that bother some people i understand that you know some people want to know what's up with billy what you know that we don't know anything and we don't find out anything and and yeah. that bothers people because they need they need to know more but the way I look at it is if you were in this situation, you wouldn't know any more than what they know. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you were actually in that house getting these phone calls, someone's not going to call you up or send you a book full of exposition that says, oh, by the way, this is what's happening and this is the backstory of the person that's doing it to you. You have no idea. So I yeah. like the fact that we don't know anything more than they know and we are sort of just stuck in this situation with them that I can appreciate. Plus the use of, of Christmas music, which is typically a happy thing. Yeah. You know, I think it sort of turns that on its ear a little bit and gives it a really ominous effect. So really I have no, I have no complaints about the original film. And, um, when I heard that they were doing a remake, I was intrigued Mm-hmm. You know, I I was interested to see where they would go with it. I don't have remake hate. I don't walk into any. Re- There's only one film that I would have automatic remake hate for, and that's Jaws. <laughs> and I would want to strangle anyone who attempted to, <laughs> to think that they could do anything better with that film, just because I don't think you can. But even mm-hmm. when we had the recent Rosemary's Baby remake thing, I was interested. I'm interested to see where people will go with it what they will do with it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it ends up failing. Um, but then it's not because it's a remake. I don't think it fails because it's a remake. I think it fails because it's a bad film. And yeah. if it's a good film, it's a good film and it deserves to be, it 
deserves to be said, hey, this is a good movie, remake or not. So um, talking about this one, I don't want anyone to think that that I'm just like, oh, I love Black Christmas so much and how dare they? Because that's not at all what it is. You know, yeah. as much as I do love Black Christmas and and everything that Bob Clark was was able to create. Incidentally, Bob Clark also made um, a Christmas story. And I really just love the fact that he has these two completely different views of Christmas. <laughs> I mean, I think that's incredible. You know, <laughs> so um, anyway, yeah. So, yeah, I love this film. But um as far as there being a remake for it, I was okay with that. I'm, you know, I'm like, all right, let's see what ha- let's see what you can do. Yeah, so we fast forward to 2006 at this point, so quite a bit of time, um, and then we get Black Christmas the remake. So it was directed by Glenn Morgan. It was, the writers were Glenn Morgan and obviously uh, Roy Moore. Um, the cast for this this movie you have Katie Cassidy, Michelle Tracking. Trachtenberg? Trachtenberg. Uh-huh. Trachtenberg. Oh my God. Why can't they all have ordinary names? I, that's, thank you. Like Whenever Smith. I'm doing the news for Devour, I'm like, everyone <laughs> should be named Bob Smith. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it should be. Uh, we have Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, Lacey Chabert. 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 I think. Chabert. Oh, that's French. Yeah. She's not French. Uh, it's Chabert. It's like, it's like Stephen Colbert. It's Stephen Colbert. <laughs> um, so uh, Crystal Lowe, Oliver Hudson and lots of other people um, so the synopsis and this is slightly different uh, an escaped maniac returns to his childhood home on Christmas Eve where uh, which is now a sorority house and begins to murder the sorority sisters one by one so um i had seen this movie exactly one time before this uh, and i revisited it this morning um after watching the original black christmas the night before um and uh, right <laughs> it's not a, it's not a total train wreck it's not a total train wreck i'll say that right at the very start there's about two or three things in this movie that I quite like, right? And that's it. That <laughs> really, that is it. Um, the I'll, fo- I'll focus on the things that I, I quite like first over the things, you know, that the, the, the list of many things that I don't like. But um, there's, a, there's a, a degree of quirkiness in this movie which you don't necessarily see in movies after the kind of 80s, early 90s, right? Um, and that the way they handle the backstory, and I don't particularly like the backstory, but those early shots to the backstory where you see the the mother figure, and she is a pantomime mother, really. She is she's the, the, the most over-exaggerated version of a, a horrible mother that you can get. I mean... The, the, one of the big gripes with this movie, in my opinion, um, and it's funny you said that people who watch the original one complain that you don't really find out what's wrong with Billy. Um, they've obviously tried to address this in this movie, which a lot of remakes do. Um, I've always argued that the more you find out about a killer, the less scared I am of that killer. Because it's always more terrifying to me, you know, when there is no motive 
Mm-hmm. That that terrifies me. When I find out that you know they're a product of this and they're a product of that, um, I on some level I start to see them more as a human, and that kind of you know, I I become desensitized to an extent. So I I but I, I really like the the mother character, and that just she she feels to me she doesn't feel like she should be in a horror movie. She feels like she should be on stage somewhere, just playing this really over dramatic version of a you know an abusive mother so i quite like that about it i quite like the the use of of once again like not necessarily christmas music but some of the music that's played in this is played in good parts especially the snow globe um i quite i quite like that as well when it comes in um I, i'm not against that um the the third and last thing that i like about this movie is the and this is like it was one of these things, is the, the the complete dickhead boyfriend. Oh yeah, because like he he does exactly what he's supposed to in that movie, and that is extract hate from me straight away. Um, so this is like because you first meet him, and I'm like, you're a bit of a sleaze, and then we see that he's we then see he's been sleeping with one of the other sorority sisters, and you know. <laughs> it's the fact that she's in the room beside the one that she is and all these sort of things that comes in and I'm like you're a complete dickhead sir I hate you you must die and he dies in a satisfying way so I'm quite happy with that that is really the only plus points out with the obvious fact that yes the women in this are actually not not bad on the eyes at all they're actually all quite nice um, and the actor in general is not bad in this movie I, 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 no one's phoning in a performance here um, the acting is really good what lets this this film down is a a, a truck full of nonsense, really, because it doesn't the the movie doesn't look like a movie. It looks like a a tele a television movie, in some respects. the The color scheme is weird. Oh, it looks awful. Yeah, I can't get behind it. It's like everything feels. If this, I don't know if this is something they intended, but the the bulbs that you put on a Christmas tree are over over exaggerated versions of color. That's kind of what this movie feels like. Everything's over exaggerated, um, even down to the fact that our you know our killer, one of our killers, and we'll get into that. Um, our killer has yellow skin because he grew up with some sort of defect and. Oh, uh, to do the case, and uh, yeah, I, I don't understand the need to put that in there. It's, it's I, I, no, it's not needed. I mean, it's not needed. They just—I mean—they use it as a reason for his mother to hate him from the time he's born because he's not the child that she wanted because he's jaundiced. So, but all they end up doing is making him look like the stinky guy from Sin City. Yes, yeah, that's that's exactly what it comes across as, and I mean. To me, there was, there's obviously from watching the movie and seeing what's happening. She obviously didn't love her husband anymore, and like every t- it says that every time she looked upon her son, she saw her husband. Um, that's enough for me. Give right. me that. Give yeah, me he that. doesn't that have is... to have this defect, the, this weird yellow abnormality that doesn't play into any other. It means nothing throughout the it rest of the nothing. film. Yeah, nothing. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything in the film. So, uh, so yeah. So I, I, I don't like the colours that are used. Um, it's overly convoluted, and like we're just saying there, as to an explanation of why this person is killing. Um, it, it feels muddled, and for a movie like this, it shouldn't be muddled. Less is more. Um, 
there's a couple of kill sequences that I think are actually pretty cool. The rest of them are just, once again, excusing the pun, that kind of cookie cutter thing. And I just, I just don't think, one of my big gripes with a lot of these remakes thus far, um, the ones on the negative side, is that a lot of them feel soulless. Like, I, I feel that the person that's made this movie has made it as an opportunity to get a movie out so they could go in and do something that they actually wanted to do. And this movie kind of feels like it. Um, I, I appreciate the quirkiness, but I don't think the quirkiness uh, is fully realised in all aspects. So at some points, if this if this movie had been... To give a comparison, the, the kind of mother character reminds me in a lot of respects to the, the kind of mother ghost that you get in Insidious, right? Mm-hmm. Insidious Chapter 2. Insidious Chapter 2 knows exactly what it's aiming for, though, because that movie has a very pantomime sort of stage feel about it, down to the makeup that's used, the the way the backstories are, t- you know, the ghost stories are told, even the room where the ghosts are, the further, it's all played out that way. It's a very quirky movie. Um, it knows it's quirky, so it plays to that. It's got a kind of campy, quirky feel to it. This movie has it in the flashbacks, but when we jump to the real-life setting... It tries to play it straight, and I, I find that I th- find a discrepancy between the two to marry them up. So when our killers eventually arrive on screen, um, I'm just like, this feels tonally wrong from everything else that's happened before. Like well, the the characters, the 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 kind of camaraderie, so to speak, that the sisters have, or lack of com- camaraderie, uh, because in the original movie, all the girls kind of get on to an extent. Um, and they feel like a well, like a group of sorority sisters who are all in it together and all the rest. And this one, there's a few obnoxious people in here, and there's stereotype obnoxious people that are flung in to this movie. Um, the the big sister character who comes into it at first is quite interesting, and then I don't understand why we're spending so much time with her. And then when I'm just starting to care about her, they kill her off, and I'm like, I don't know why you've done that. I, I, you know what, what, why, why, have we, why have we followed her this far? If that's your intentions with that character, there's the, the whole movie is it just feels messy in places. Um, whereas the first one is so stripped back and so focused on delivering, you know, the the idea of fear. Um, the use of the telephones as well. See, right? Understand we're in modern day, so we'll use mobile phones, right? Mobile phones can be used from anywhere, um, and that's you know that's where Scream hit its mark. You know, introduce mobile phones because the the idea of someone doesn't necessarily need to be in their house to be calling you. Um, they could be calling you from outside your door. That works really well in that film. The whole idea in the first movie is that the calls are all coming from inside the house, um, and that's what that's the ultimate kind of fear aspect is when they realise that actually. The person's inside the house. In the case of this one, and they're phoning mobiles, and there's a ringing up the attic and all the rest, I'm just like, I don't. Why bring the phone aspect back into this at all? You know, I, I don't get. I don't get it. I, 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 maybe the first time they phone, yeah, but I don't understand the repeated phones. And then the fact that they use certain tropes, and I know that Jerry was saying on your comments that um, this isn't necessarily a remake as such as like. I think he said, you know, they they share the same name, but and I would argue that point because they bring so much from that original over, whether it's the glass toy 
with the spike on it, um, the telephone calls, uh, the fact that the killer's in the attic, the plastic bag over the face. Um, they bring so many of those elements out. Um, the fact that we have a second killer in this one is, to me, pointless. I don't get it. I don't think it's needed either. Um, it feels really sloppy, and that's my, my biggest gripe about it. I think if this had been focused a bit more, a bit less backstory on the killer, um, a, a completely different colour palette, um, the, the actors and actresses in this movie weren't bad. Um, I just think they muddle it up too much by trying to give us information that we don't need. Um, and then by the time it comes to the end of the movie, I don't care. Uh, so that, that's my big the, the only saving grace for this movie is that it clocks in at just under an hour and a half um, <laughs> and that's you know that, that that's a big tick for me because any longer than that and it's 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 just far too long so Jamie um, I, I have I have a uh, monopolized the conversation do you want to chime in I yeah I do um <laughs> okay <Yay>. um <laughs> Okay, I completely agree. First of all, thank you for bringing up the color palette because that's one of my biggest gripes about this film. And um, I'm sure people on this show now are really tired of hearing me talk about color, but it's, <laughs> it's important to me, damn it. And with this particular film, it's bad. It's yeah. just bad. And there are scenes where it feels over. I mean, I don't know what the... It, they're like there's there is, it's overly done and there are even scenes with several shots throughout this film where the coloring on the people themselves is bad like there's this weird red tone that runs through their skin at sometimes there's a an example a specific example i'm thinking of is when drunky goes to get in the shower and she's stepping into the shower. It looks as if there is blood running down her leg or the remnants of it, like maybe blood, yeah. a stain running down her legs. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, what is that? I'm like, oh, that's just shitty lighting. Okay. Okay. That's just bad coloring and shitty lighting. That's what that is. And I don't understand it. It's it's like everything was turned really up. And as far that, as... That the, angle, that angle with the camera as well from the floor looking at her in the shower does nothing for that woman's physique by the way no it if does you're not going to give us if you're going to give us a woman in the shower give us a woman in the shower don't give us some weird fucking angle where it, it, it doesn't it's not a nice shot at all actually if i'm being honest and i'm not just saying that from a perv point of view um it's just a horrible camera angle it's, I, well I, the, I and like this film is ripe with them and i know that uh the that the director intended to his whole point was to try to give you the feeling that you're being watched from all these different angles. That was his idea. However, mm -hmm. in order to achieve that in the bathroom scene, there are two holes in the bathroom floor that are covered by loose tiles that he knew were there because apparently they have always been there. And you're going to tell me that for for the past 15 years, no one has mopped that floor and or no one has stepped in those spots to realize <laughs> yeah, that those yeah. tiles are loose and there are holes in the floor. I mean, like yeah. that I don't buy. It's completely contrived. And that's the, and that's a huge problem with this film is everything feels contrived. Everything feels like it's put there for the sake of being put there. There's a scene in one of the bedrooms um, when Katie Cassidy and her boyfriend are in the bedroom talking and there's a poster on the wall and it zooms in on the corner of the poster and there's a push pin in the poster and then the push pin just gets wiggled out of yeah. the hole and pops out. Well, push pins aren't that long and 
it's there is no way that you can wiggle out a push pin from the other side of the wall just because and then look through the hole that the push pin created that's ridiculous don't even i mean i don't even understand the point of that and that's a little thing but the little things about this film is what bothers me because there are so many of them we yeah. already talked about the unnecessary bizarre coloring on the killer himself the fact that he has uh, a liver problem the fact that he was born jaundiced and it means nothing it means yeah. nothing to the story if she wants to hate her son because she hates her husband and when she looks at her son she rem he reminds him of her husband her of her husband that's plenty we don't need yeah. any more than that but the problem with this is they don't know when to stop the backstory of this is so overly done and so overly complicated that it completely overshadows everything that's happening in the present day. Mm -hmm. And so what they do in the beginning of this is they keep cutting from uh, Billy is now in the insane asylum. So he, we're watching him escape from the insane asylum. Well, meanwhile, people are already getting killed at the house. So they, they're cutting back and forth between present day and things going on in the house and him still managing to escape from the insane asylum. So yeah. we already know that he's not responsible for all the killings that are going on. So mm -hmm. if you're going to do that, then like, oh, I guess they're being clever. They're going to be like, oh, there's somebody else. Who is it? Is it this... Is it this, like, manky boyfriend who likes to have sex with people and then put it on the internet? No, it's not him. That's not who he is. Yeah, not once do I ever suspect that he is a killer. Is it this creepy sister that shows up out of nowhere and can't seem to prove that she's actually this? No, that's stupid. Never once would I think that she was actually the killer. Is it Eve, the girl who, the sorority sister who doesn't seem to quite fit in and just, and not really because that's way too fucking obvious. I mean, it's just... <laughs> So I'm sitting here confused going, um, why? And I had seen this one time before, so I knew what was going on. And still I managed to go, why are you doing it this way? Um, because then it, it becomes necessary to introduce a second killer that we already know is coming. So there's no surprise yeah. when the second killer is revealed because it had to be there. Because from the way that they shot the, or the way that they edited the front half of the film – it's painfully obvious that there's more than one person doing this or that Billy is not responsible for everything that's going on. So all of his backstory that that we get in the beginning, it just it just feels completely unnecessary. And I know that um, when when they were making this film, he specifically mirrored this the Billy character off of the off of the Edmund Kemper. That was mm -hmm. his. That was his um, uh, inspiration. Yeah. Because Edmund Kemper's mother had kept him locked away for all those years, and then um, he ended up getting out and killing her and all of that. So that was his inspiration for that. I'm like, did you have to be so ham-fisted with it and so heavy-handed? Because by yeah. doing that, the delicacy that could have been used to, to put this film over the top when you're dealing with the present day stuff in the house is completely overshadowed and blown out. And then we have this stuff inside the house that's that does not mesh tonally with the rest of the film. Because when you have Billy like making the cookies out of his mother's back and then you get the close up shot of him eating the cookie and his, and it's all like gooey and gross. And so you have those moments, and then you have the moments inside the sorority house, the present-day moments, where it looks just very normal and, you know, okay. I think what he was trying to do was make some sort of juxtaposition there, but mm -hmm. unfortunately, it's just – it doesn't mesh. Like, it doesn't work well together. And then you have the 
phone calls, which were very effective in the first film. In this film, for one, I'm not going to buy for a second that this guy who has been locked away for all these years even knows how to use a cell phone. <laughs> I'm not going to buy that. You know, and that he's just going to pick up a cell phone and and know who these people are by name so that he can call them on their cell phone. And uh, no, I'm not I'm not buying that. Not even a little bit. But if I wanted to, you could completely take those calls, the cell phone calls out of the picture and it wouldn't change anything. I mean, these are they're still just sorority girls getting knocked off one by one, you know, so it really has nothing to do to drive the story. It doesn't drive the tension because I don't feel like there is any um, you've got this boyfriend character who yeah you hate him you know because he's kind of a dick but in the end he comes back and tries to help them out so he's clearly not that bad of a guy so I don't even understand the point of his whole storyline I don't understand why he's there I don't I don't get because in the end he doesn't do anything in the end he gets killed and his character has served no purpose whatsoever because the fact that he's having this argument with Katie Cassidy means nothing as far as the story goes. And then you've got the sister who comes in who – and like you said, I thought she was very interesting in the beginning. But then suddenly she's bonding with – she's clearly a like a stone-cold bitch when she first gets there. You know? Yeah. She's got better things to do. You know, she she doesn't give a shit about Christmas. She doesn't give a shit about anything. She wanted to be in Vail with a cardiologist. She didn't even want to be there picking up her sister. But then by the end, she's bonded with the Katie, Katie Cassidy character. I don't really get that either. You've got the, the Lacey Chabert character who all she does is sit on her phone the entire time and make snarky <laughs> comments, you know, and then, Oh, we discover, Oh, you're not brainless. You can turn on, you, you can go flip a switch in the basement yet. And then I'm supposed to care about that character. I don't. The one thing I like about what they did with this film is that they chose, he purposely chose actresses who were roughly the same as far as uh, being famous. You know, so he chose people that had done things before that you would recognize so that when you you wouldn't look at one of them and go, oh, they're clearly going to be the one to make it to the end. You know, and so you can't pick out who's going to be the final girl just based on who they are. I like the fact that he did that. I think that was clever, you know, but then what that's to me not enough you know what we have is a mishmash of things that really don't make any sense and then at the end um, even a little thing like when when the katie cassidy character comes back from getting her x-rays done in the hospital and the nurse tr tries the, the door and the door's jammed and she's like oh they were supposed to fix that you couldn't have shoehorned that in any harder if you tried because clearly five minutes later she's going to – or not even that long, like 20 seconds later, she's going to need to get out that door and she's not going to be able to because they haven't fixed the hospital door. I mean it's just everything was clearly set up for just because it needed to be there and that's something that I think if you want to make a successful slasher – you can't have everything completely telegraphed from one end of the film to the next. It just – it doesn't work well that way. And it was clear that they had no idea what they were doing with the end of this film because after I watched the film, I went back and watched all the special features. God help me. And the, <laughs> there are three alternate endings. 
So you Ooh, add they... you add that up to the one that they actually used. They had four endings for this film. None of them were good. It was clear that they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know how they wanted to end it. They had they got to the end. They have this complete mess with two killers, and it doesn't make any sense. Like how Billy comes back to the house, his sister or daughter, whatever, comes back, <laughs> comes back to the house at the same time. And that what they've been communicating all this time. Bullshit. No, they haven't. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely thrown together. I don't think they had any idea what they were doing. I think that it was a, hey, I think this might be cool. And then they tried to work things in. But it just doesn't work. And the director even said he replaced the through line with the, uh, the the abortion through line. He wanted to replace that with this whole idea of being watched all the time. That's not the same thing. I mean, <laughs> you get that from the first one. You know, you get the yeah. feeling of being watched all the time from the original film. So he didn't replace anything. And yeah. also having this like this very timely uh, social issue running throughout is not the same as having some guy peeping at you from under the bathroom floor in a hole that happens to be there. Um, I don't, you know, and his whole relationship with his parents, like his father clearly cared about him within his father got killed. And then she brought in this stepfather, but honestly the stepfather didn't seem to be all that bad. And they gave him a telescope for Christmas. Do you think at all that these are the kind of parents who are going to be giving their kid who they shoved up in the attic a telescope for Christmas? Yeah. That makes no sense. None of it makes any sense. It just doesn't – it doesn't mesh. It doesn't blend. I don't believe the characters as far as the killers go. I don't believe – I mean his motivation is shoddy. Um, it was like, well, you know, she saw – he saw him – he saw his mother kill his father when he was a child. So then he was under the impression that that's how they show their love. What? No. <laughs> it's just, I get the whole time I'm going, what? Throughout the entire thing. And we do get some uh, interesting gory moments. But to me, it's just too little, too late. I've already lost interest. I don't really care. You got the... Are they dead? No, they're not dead. They're climbing th now. They're climbing through the hospital ceilings at the end of the movie, and then we're gonna kill them with the with the pallets, uh, with the the you know the what is it the the heart machine. The <laughs> yeah, yeah, the defibrillator. The the, the, thank you. The defibrillator. The, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just it was. You, and you've got the whole morgue, and there's just so much. It's a mess. You've got the whole morgue scene, and then the, and I don't know. I would, I recommend actually, if you're going to watch this film, go back and watch the the three additional endings, and you'll see just how they clearly had no idea what they wanted to do with it. And I think that's always a bad sign. If you, if you go into your film and you have, and you aren't satisfied with how you want to end it, then you're not ready to make that film yet. And I yeah. think that what they found when they got to the end is we have no idea how to tie this up. We have thrown all of this shit at you, and we have no idea what to do with it in the end. Because that's basically what they did. They were just throwing shit at you from <laughs> from one like, oh, here's this guy. Oh, and by the way, he has a daughter sister. Oh, and by the way, he was in a mental institution. Oh, and they used to live in this house. Oh, but here's this boyfriend who he's a townie, but he's really an asshole. And but it doesn't. All it all it does is muddle what should be a very basic premise. And I think if they had kept it simple, 
it would have been a lot more effective because yeah. a simple slasher is an effective slasher. I mean, look at Halloween. You couldn't yeah. get, and I will even argue that I don't personally consider Halloween um, a slasher film if it, in the respect of uh, later slasher films, like where it, it all, it all is, it becomes a celebration of death scenes and sex, you know? Um, yeah. It's, it's very different. I mean, Halloween is almost like its own thing. But look at the simplicity of that. Look at the simplicity of Friday the 13th. You know, it's a very simple revenge plot. And that's what this could be. It could be just a very simple plot. But instead, they felt the need to try to throw in a lot of things that don't really make a whole lot of sense. And then it just makes me angry by the time I get to the end because I feel like they didn't know what they wanted to do. And if you don't know the story you're trying to tell, then why should I get to give a damn about it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I couldn't, could not agree more. Um, it's just a shame. I think overall it's just a shame because, I mean... Like you say, there's, as I don't necessarily suffer from a remake hate either. I have there are certain certain titles that when they're mentioned, my eyes will roll in the back of my head, just because I don't understand why someone would want to revisit, um, you know, something, you know, why they would want to revisit trying to remake a certain movie. Yeah, um, I don't I never, why they did why they remade Psycho exactly the same way that it was exactly. made the first time. I, it, it makes no sense to me. Yeah, and I, but when when I look at something like Black Christmas, I would never at any point have said when Black Christmas was mentioned as a remake that I was like, oh no, here we go. I, it wasn't a, a very much like yourself. I thought, oh, well, this could be quite interesting. You know, a lot of times past, uh, we'll see how they tie it all in. This could be quite interesting. It's just messy. It's just a really messy movie. It's messy. Um, that is the best way to describe it. It is messy. It's very messy. And this is another interesting thing that I found out um, from watching the special features is, well, for one, Bob Clark was in, was involved in this and he was apparently on board the whole time. I'm thinking, really? You, you like this because you make, you make competent films. Um, (laughs) But one thing that he said is when he was making the original film, he knew the backstory of Billy. He knew everything that was happening with Billy. He never, and he even said, then he's like, I don't intend to reveal it. So he like took that to his grave. He is not he's not revealing what's going on with Billy, but he knew it. So when he was making the phone calls, he knew what was going on. It made sense. We just didn't get to know the other end of it. And I think I think that is important. I think that at the very least the filmmaker has to know what's going on. Yes. And even if we don't get if we're not privy to everything that is going on as far as the backstory goes or everything that's going on in the filmmaker's mind, that's okay. You can be ambiguous as long as you know the story you're trying to tell. And then you, you put off you, you put out enough of us for us to be able to enjoy it. With this particular film, I don't think they knew it. Even though they tried really hard to make one, it was so messy <laughs> yeah that's that's I, I think that's the perfect word i think it just feels like a really messy movie um and it doesn't need to be it doesn't need to be at all um and it's 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 all it's all all the problems with this movie are all self-manufactured by the fact that you know they just they clearly just tried to throw too much into it without any idea how to finish it 
and it shows it shows on the screen it's so painfully um, and like yeah. i said i'm okay with a backstory i'm fine with that if you want to flesh out a backstory for billy that's cool do that but have an idea of what you're trying to do and i think there were just too many ideas and they didn't know how to how to mix them together and they didn't know how to come out with something that made sense yeah Agreed, agreed. Um, so we don't rate these because these are universally accepted as bad or good on this show. So or on this particular series. Is there anything else you want to say about this movie before we take a quick break and then come back with a movie we both like? No, I think I pretty much... Uh, Destroyed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I vomited all over that one, so I'm good. <laughs> Fly style, just like... Acid vomit. Awesome. <laughs> right, so we're going to take a very short break. You're going to hear the trailer for number five on our best horror remakes list is, of course, 1988's The Blob. And we're going to be talking about that movie right after this. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. Please consider us your high priest and priestess of satanic cinema. Join us on our podcast, Kiss the Goat, which will drag your soul through some of the finest and worst devil movies of the last 50 years. Devils and demons, exorcisms and possessions, cults and rituals, dogs and cats living together. Is that a devil movie? Maybe. Sort of. I don't know, babe. We'll talk about it later. Join us on the Horrorphilia Podcast Network every other week as we don our hoods and cloaks and kiss, kiss the, the goat. goat. It's a hell of a good time. I knew you were going to say that. Of course you did. It's in the script. Hi, I'm Mike White. And I'm Rob St. Mary. And we're the hosts of the Projection Booth podcast. If you haven't heard of the Projection Booth, that's okay. But we think it's time that you have. We've been doing this for over three years now. And we think we're doing a pretty good show. Every week we look at a different film and put it in context. We try to bring you interviews with the people behind the films. Or experts on a subject matter covered in the film. We don't specialize in any one particular genre or type of film. We try to examine every aspect of cinema. From every corner of the globe. Even at three years, we barely just scratched the surface. But we're ready. We're ready for you to listen to us. That's right. Now's the time to give us a shot. Download us through our free smartphone app. Or through Stitcher, iTunes, Geek Juice Radio, Jackalow. Or our website. Projection-booth.com. We'll keep making great shows. Now it's your turn to listen to them. If it had a mind, you could reason with it. If it had a face, you could look it in the eye. If it had a body, you could shoot it. Now, man is no longer the supreme being on this planet. The organism is growing at a geometric rate. By all accounts, it's at least a thousand times its original mass. Nobody believes me about what happened tonight. What did happen? I want that organism alive. I think you pissed it off. The 
hollow shape. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for 1988's The Blob. So let me give you some information on the original, um, like we've been doing. So the original movie came out a whole 30 years before, in 1958. Um, the director was Erwin S. Yearworth Jr. Oh my God, that's a tongue twister. Um, and uncredited Russell S. Dalton Jr. Jesus Christ, there's a lot of juniors here. There must have been something about the 50s. Um, and the synopsis for the movie was an alien life form consumes everything in its path as it grows and grows. So, simple, straight to the point. Now, um, I actually don't mind the original. It's not of the, of the kind of... The ilk of movies that came out about that time, the kind of alien kind of spacecraft movies or the the kind of giant insect movies of of that era. Um, the original Blob is is one that I actually quite like. I, I don't love it. Um, I like Steve McQueen in it. I think he's Steve McQueen in it. Knows pretty much fucking awesome. Um, but to me, the original, and I know it's a, a generational thing. It's not really much of a horror movie. To me, it was always. I always felt it was more of a sci-fi movie. Um, I, I mean, you will have checked out the original, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do you think? Oh, what do I think? Um, yeah. I really like it. I'm everything from the <laughs> from, "Beware of the Blob." Like, <laughs> I love that song. Um, to Steve McQueen, I'm big Steve McQueen fan. Big yeah. Steve McQueen fan. Love him, and um, I agree with that. I think it's it's very sci-fi. And it sort of fits with the time period for yeah. for what it was. I think it's a good film. I I think it's solid. I don't have any issues with it at all. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is one of these ones where we, like in the case of this one, we jump forward to 30 years. So we get the remake, which I would definitely say is a horror movie. Um, and once again, I don't know if that's just a generational thing. And that's because I, it's within my, my lifetime. So I, I instantly you know, relate to it more. I think it's a lot to do with the effects, but we'll get into that. Um, So, The Blob came out in 1988. It was directed by Chuck Russell, and it stars Kevin Dunn, Shawnee Smith, Donovan Leach Jr., Jeffrey Dean... Demum? Is that right, Demum? Jeffrey Demun. Demun. Candy (laughs) Clark. Uh, Del Close um, and other people uh, and the synopsis is a strange life form consumes everything in its past as it grows and grows so a slight change there slight change the change being that in the original synopsis it says alien life form and this one it just says life form um, so Jamie you are my special guest this is the main feature so I will give the floor to you to start off with tell us why you love the blob I, there are a myriad of reasons as to why I love the blob, starting with the effects. I think the effects are astounding and yeah. they hold up really well. There are a couple of moments of of CGI going on or something. I'm not I'm actually I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like a not CGI, I guess, but it's like a maybe like a stop motion. I'm some of them are kind of wonky you know it didn't hold up completely well but for the most part the practicals are really good and when you get the moments of the blob consuming flesh it's um 
it's harrowing. Like it's just, you know, ugh. Uh, when we get the first, when they go back and pull back the sheet from the old man who was the first person to fall victim to the blob, mm-hmm. it's visceral. It's disgusting. It's, um, it's right up there with like a Cronenberg, the fly kind of effect. It's, it's, and, or even like the thing and some of the, the gorier stuff. It's, it's solid. Uh, the, I think the performances are great. I, actually like the fact that they introduced uh, sort of a, a government plot thing going on here yeah. rather than this just coming rather than it just being a life form that just shows up from outer space this is something that we find up find out was manufactured um, but I like that I think that they did that pretty well there are a couple of things about choices that they made as far as character go characters go within this film that i really appreciate um one of those is that when shawnee smith is going out on her date with this football player mm-hmm. uh we spend some time with the football player in the beginning he get you know we go to him we go with him to the pharmacy where his friend is buying condoms for his date and uh and so we get that kind of a funny moment where he the 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 priest walks in, and so his friend end up, ends up telling him that the con- that the condoms are for the other guy, not him. And so, um, and then it turns out later that Shawnee Smith is actually the f- father, is actually the pharmacist. Uh, <laughs> so when he sees that her the guy that has shown up to take her out, his face is priceless. But we get to spend a good deal amount of time with this guy that she's going out with, and they find the old man, they take him to the hospital. And he, the boyfriend is, or the the date is actually the one to first discover what's going on with the blob and with this old man. And then he jumps on the phone to call the police. And at this point, you're pretty solid that this guy is going to carry out the rest of the film. That he's yeah, going he's to be a, one of the hero. heroes. You yeah, know? he's a hero in the movie. Yeah. He's a hero. And we like him. I like him. You know, I think he's a great guy. And then all of a sudden, he's taken out of the picture. And yeah. I love it. I love that they did that. It's just like, oh, you remember this guy? Yeah, he's gone. Yeah. And they did the same <laughs> thing again with Jeffrey DeMunn, who plays uh, the sheriff in the town. And he has this – he's trying to start this relationship with Fran, who owns the diner. And, uh, you know, you get to like his character. You want them to get together. You want them to, to be happy. You get this feeling that, they're, that they might ride it out to the end. You're like, maybe he'll come and rescue her. She – gets out of the diner she goes to the phone booth to try to call him and she can't get in touch with him as the blob is overtaking this phone booth that she's in and suddenly and she's on the phone with the dispatcher and the dispatcher says i think he went over to the diner and then she turns her face and there is his face already engulfed by the blob smashed up against the phone booth we didn't get to see him die we just saw that he was dead I love that, too, because that's another character that you were sure you were going to get to see more of. I mean, he's the sheriff. Typically, the sheriff is going to be there, and yeah. he's gone. And all, I'm just like, God, I love the fact that they had the guts to do that. And then they keep doing that because it keeps you on your toes. Yeah, It keeps you going, I better not get too attached to this character because I really don't know how long they're going to be around. And then they also took the town bad guy. Like the the local bad kid who he apparently has a really horrible reputation. The sheriff even goes out of the way in the beginning to say, hey, you've got a birthday coming up after you turn, you know, after you turn 18, you know, it's no more juvie hall for you. You're going to be playing with the big boys. And so we get this idea that he is a troublemaker. Yeah. He clearly everyone in town knows him as the troublemaker, but he ends up being a really good guy and he ends up being uh, the hero 
and that I love those character shifts. I think that those were some really smart choices and some really ballsy choices that keep the story moving, that keep you interested in the story and the characters and don't allow you to be able to telegraph it all the way to the end because yeah. you just don't know who you're going to lose at any moment. And anytime you do that, I think, I think that that's a, a really, and it, and it's done well. It's not just slapped in there. This was, these, these were really thoughtful choices and you don't often see that. So I appreciate that too. So overall, I think that this film is engaging. It's interesting. It's fun. It's scary. It's gory. And you get attached to the characters and sometimes that t comes out well and sometimes it doesn't. And uh, so throughout, I mean, I actually just watched this film a few months ago just for the hell of it. And then I watched it again last night in preparation for this. And so even though it had not been that long since I watched it last, I did not mind at all sitting down and watching it again, because this to me is one of the most successful remakes that have ever been done because it is just a good film in its own right. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. I think um, I'd just echo quite pretty much everything that you've just said there. the 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 actual effects in this movie, the the practical effects first and foremost, are phenomenal. Are absolutely phenomenal. Um, and you get such like you were saying with the boyfriend being trapped inside the blob and her trying to pull his arm and his arm coming off and, <laughs> but he's, that's he's, great <laughs> he's, his face is getting his face is getting pulled back so and that you know that the actor's been in there pushing his face up against this material like in a really uncomfortable way just for that shot and it works so well the cop who smashes into the side who basically gets pressed into the side of the phone box as well that's such a cool effect um, I, I, you know, I really, really dig that. I really enjoy the pretty much all the blob effects in this one. Even down to the 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 fact that when the the supposed meteorite crashes, um, and you you see it like on the on the ground, and just the simple effects that you don't get now in in movies, and I don't know why. A bit of you know, a bit of frozen ice fog coming out there and just some lights glowing to me is such a cool effect that I know if they ever remade that movie now it'd be CGI'd and you're like really you know it, it just it works really well some striking imagery with the lights behind the trees when the the um the the guys who show up from the the government um I love that twist as well that you know it's something the government's manufactured and they're just testing it out but now it's out of control. So this is man-made. This is not alien. Um, because you think, for most of the film, it is. Um, very much like you said as well, the, the kind of misdirection on certain characters where you think a particular character is going to be your main... You know, this is our main hero and he's not the main hero because... Not not just because something happens. Like he gets consumed by the blob. Um, the, the sequences with the two wee boys are brilliant as well. Where it's them trying to, where it's one of them giving the other one a row for basically ratting out to the, the, the kid's mum that they're going to see a, a slasher movie, or the kid describing that, you know, there's no sex on screen, it's just, you know, it's just your hack and slash sort of movie, and the mother being mortified at this. But <laughs> then I really like the sequence in the cinema, I think the sequence in the cinema is excellent, 
because you know it jumps between real events to the cinema events so you're getting the, the audience screaming at the, at the cuts that they do between certain certain things that you think they're screaming at the blob and then later on the sequence where the blob starting picking them all off and the cinema is awesome um, I think once again like you were saying I think uh, what, what you get with this movie is a really really well made movie it's a lot of fun it has masses of rewatchability I mean I could watch this movie loads and I would never get tired of it um, because first and foremost it understands that it's a fun movie that's what it's there to do it's there to entertain you um, so you know as it, it delivers that it delivers that in spades um, I think the the, the kind of the, the actual horrific melting or like snapping of arms and pulling off effects is what elevates it straight into horror um, the, the, the gore they don't shy away from the gore even though this is like 1988, it feels like... Well, but it doesn't thrust it down your throat either. Um, I love the old the kind of small town environment thing. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned this uh, before in a previous episode with uh, Corey Graham uh, with regards to the crazies. And that I really like movies. I mean, we, we, have like, we have small villages over here, but they're not the same as small American towns is captured on camera when everyone knows everyone's name the sheriff knows that a particular boy's birthday is coming up you know he, he already knows that and he's basically giving them warning you know next time you misbehave it's not it's not juvie hall anymore it's up with the big boys so um, I really like that idea like the small community where people know each other and all the rest and I think it handles that really well the setting of it is excellent in this movie um, yeah I just think it's a very very fun movie it just so happens that it's a remake um had this just been a, a movie in its own right it'd be an excellent movie the fact that it is a remake of a movie which is good um I, you know and this elevates it to something which is excellent you know it's just the cherry on top for me i think the blob remake is very much like you said one of the best remakes not even horror remakes just one of the best remakes ever um and there's a reason it landed number five on my list yeah, well, and with good reason. Also, they take out a kid, which is always, which always, yeah. <laughs> always gains points with me. And I thought you were going to do that. Earlier. I thought you. Were, I thought that was going to be one of your first points. <laughs> this, like... I actually, because I'm, because I'm one. I'm glad you brought up the, the the cinema sequence too, because I really enjoy that whole thing. I mean, they they they're watching a slasher film on screen, and uh, you've got that guy in the back who keeps like predicting what's going to happen you know and then he's turning around he's getting all pissed off at the guy in the back and i'm like i feel you kid i know what that's like um and so that's a fun thing but then yeah those those two kids they actually get uh they get taken one of them gets taken out which in a brilliant scene i love that yeah. scene because you know the kids are going to make it you know that's no they yeah. don't and i love <laughs> it i love it plus that one one of the kids is uh from return of the leaving dead part two uh-huh and the main kid and then the other kid ended up on 90210 years later really? um yeah he was a uh, scott the kid who ended up uh, shooting himself with his dad's gun um in one of their you know very special episodes but um, <laughs> so like and that that's the, these are people that you know these are people and jeffrey demun of course went on to do uh the mist and walking dead uh-huh. um uh, among other things i mean he's just he has a a huge a career i mean he's he's out there so these are people that you recognize now and that's fun too to go back and say and to to see people that you know from later things um to see 
what they were doing back then. I mean, everyone knows Shawnee Smith from the Saw series, yeah. but a lot of people don't realize how big her career was before that. And that yeah, opens okay. my mind. Cool. It, it, it surprises um, me that people aren't aware of that. Yeah, uh, 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 who is Harry Crumb? She's in that, isn't it? Yeah, and um, uh, The Stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck. And she did a movie called I, I Saw What You Did. It was a TV movie uh, that, uh -huh. was a, that was also a remake uh, of another movie. Um, but, I mean, she, yeah, she was around back then, and yet no one seemed to it, – it's almost like she dropped off. And then when she came yeah. back, saw, like suddenly she blew up and everyone knew who she was. But she has always been there. She, yeah. and, and I like her. I think that uh, she's a likable – she she always puts forth a likable character, and I think that her portrayal of this just everyday, you know, small town girl is is a good solid one, you know. And yeah. I I I want her to make it. I want her to win. And um, I say this a lot. And with with modern horror films, that's something that I think a lot of times we're missing is characters that you care about. And yeah. so many times in modern films. I'm just waiting for them to die. And I think that's a mistake. I think that w having some people to just be there for monster fodder is a good thing, but there needs to be someone within that film that you actually give a damn about seeing make it to the end. And back in the 80s, that was something that I think was typically done pretty well. I mean, you, you typically liked the characters. Even the more obnoxious characters sometimes were still good people. They just were a little bit obnoxious. And nowadays, they frequently are just obnoxious. Yeah. And uh, so I think what we have, because even the bad guy, even not bad guy, he was a good guy, but the you know the bad boy was a good guy, you yeah. know. And, and he was, you know, he had he was even from the first point where we're introduced to the blob with the old man, flag cared about that like he was trying to help the old man so this bad boy image that he had was not that bad at all he was still a good person and a good caring guy and i you know i just i love that this is just a this is just a damn good movie it really yeah. is. and anyone out there who hasn't seen it for whatever reason um remake or not remake or not it's just a good movie yeah, definitely, definitely. I think of what you say, character development, the the small setting we get with that family with the two kids at the table and the mother and how she interacts with her daughter upstairs with the, the shrunken sweater and all the rest. Just a couple of minutes on screen and I instantly understand that family and know what sort of family they're like and I get behind them. Um, and it's like you say, it seemed that, that art of doing that in films seems to be lost. Um, I don't know why, because it's done. It's, it's very straightforward. It's very easy. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think what what comes away from this conversation is the blob is awesome. You need to check <laughs> it out. If you haven't checked it out, we don't know why you've not checked it out. You need to rectify that. You need to get on that. You need to go and watch the blob. And you need to come back to the Facebook page and tell us why you liked it because you're not going to dislike this. I, I, I would I would question someone who said that because I just can't see anyone not liking the blob. It's too much fun. It's too much fun. So uh, anything else you want to say about this movie before we take a short break and come back to close out the show, Jamie? No, I think you've pretty much covered it. You know, watch it. Awesome. Right, so we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're closing out the show right after this. Uh... 
And so then, fuck you, fuckface. Oh, you think we'll go off on tangents <laughs> on the Midnight Horror? Have show? you ever listened to this show before, Mark? He was masturbating into the the corpse of a fucking beheaded fish. Fucking uh. nasty motherfucker. <laughs> We're gonna end the show on corpse fucking this time, apparently. Anytime you talk about necrophilia, you're talking. It's gonna take a certain kind of person to watch it. Yes, it's a charmed life. Fuck you. <laughs> You can hear the Midnight Horror Show live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Wednesday night at AllRadioX.com or download the show on iTunes, Podomatic, or at the AllRadioX.com page. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And welcome back. So you have been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs, episode number 36, where we have done number five on the top ten best worst remakes, horror remakes that is, um, I selected by myself. Uh, on this episode, uh, number five in the worst category uh, was the Black Christmas remake, which, oh yeah, what a mess that turned out to be. And then speaking about mess, uh, we then went on to talk about uh, The Blob which was number five on the best category. So, um, I hope you've really enjoyed that. Jamie, did you enjoy the show? I loved it. It was, it was, good, yes. to, it was good to finally... I mean, you were saying to me that The Blob's a movie you've been looking forward to chatting to for a wee while on a podcast. It's true. It's one that I don't think gets any coverage, really. No one ever talks about that film, and it should because it's in quality. It's right up there with like the fly an invasion of the body snatchers for me as far as yeah. being a quality remake of an older film and uh, i don't understand why it doesn't get more accolades so i have been wanting to talk about it for quite a while and so when that opportunity arose i leapt on it <laughs> it's also when I, i'm very glad that i got an opportunity to chat about the film with yourself because uh, very much like yourself i've not heard anyone talk about this movie on a podcast um and i've been wanting to chat about it for a while and no better time to do it than than just chatting about remakes and you know what works and what doesn't. So, um, what have you got coming up? I mean, you've got we mentioned all your shows at the beginning. Where where are all these shows heading in the next couple of weeks? What have you got coming up? Well, I'm very excited uh, because right now on Devour the Podcast, we just recorded our first episode of our Friday the Thirteenth retrospective, and we're going to be going through all the Friday the Thirteenth films. So you know, I'm super excited about that, particularly yeah. since you're going to be joining us. Yes, I am. I'm looking forward to For a couple to that. of them. And uh, we have several guests we're going to meet. Ryan Lewis is going to be joining us. Brian Sammons, who um, is also on Evil Episodes, is going to be joining us. Um, John Rhodes. Um, I apologize if I've left anyone out, but I mean, I'm sure there are more. It's just, this is my favorite franchise, and um, it's going to be very interesting because Bo is not a huge slasher fan in general. And it's been many years since he's seen the majority of these films. David is, uh, he's sort of like between the two of us. 
um, mm-hmm. nestled as far as this franchise goes. So, um, and then I have like an unabashed love for it. So <laughs> this is going to be a fun series to go through and it could lead to some fights, which is always good. <laughs> um, other than that, well, we're getting close to the end on the skeleton crew. We're, we're ticking close to the end, uh, to episode 100. So, um, we're going to be doing some interesting things and having some guests on as far as that goes. And then, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, then the other stuff is we're just going along. We're just doing our usual thing. I don't think there's anything (laughs) huge going on on anything else. If you want to keep up with what's going on on horror television these days, check out evil episodes because that's what we talk about there. And there's lots of that just now. So there is, it's that show out. We just managed to get in um, another portion of our Tales from the Dark Side retrospective, which we've been unable to do, really, because there's been so much going on with horror on television that we haven't had time to go back and revisit anything older because we're so busy with what's actually going on. But we took we took a moment, and uh, we just did four episodes, uh, the next four episodes in our Tales from the Dark Side retrospective. So if you're a fan of that series, then come check out that show when it releases and uh, you'll hear us talk about four of them there. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, podcast under the stairs wise, uh, we will be back with another show next week, number four in the countdown. Uh, my guest host at that time will be none other than one half of the Bedacious Horror Podcast, Mr. Gil Rockitansky will be joining me. I obviously can't announce what the films are here. You'll just have to wait. Um, but that'll be a lot of fun. Not spoken to Gil on this show since he jumped on to do uh, the August Underground for for uh, Basby Horror. So very much looking forward to that. And the two movies will be a lot of fun as well. Um, with that, the Midnight Horror Show, uh, we will be going live again on Wednesday where we will be concluding our Horace, Horror's Biggest Badass competition. Jamie, if you ever wanted to join in and do a vote on that just now, now would be the time because Jason Voorhees is in the final and he's currently losing uh, ah. on points. And I will not live in a world where Jason Voorhees is not Horror's Biggest Badass. Who does he so, lo- Who is he losing against? One of our listeners has been thrown in, and um, one of one of the the minions has been put into the competition, and she has a lot of support. And I refuse to believe that Jason's going to beat her. So, uh, going to lose her. Sorry. So, um, if there ever was a time to to jump onto that page and tick a wee vote in there for Jason, now would be the time. Um, so, although in saying that, Cthulhu's also in. It's a it's a triple it's a triple threat match, and Cthulhu's also in there. But Cthulhu's quite far down the rankings, so. Um, I think uh, if you were ever going to do a vote, it'd be best place with Jason. Not that I'm trying to steer votes towards my my horse, but that's that's what I'm doing. Like you have <laughs> to push real hard yeah. to steer my vote toward Jason. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're concluding that. Um, I'm trying to remember what the I actually can't remember what the conversation. Uh, what we're talking about this week but we did have an opportunity this week the shows just went live uh, where we sat and we talked to actress uh, slash magician slash burlesque performer slash dancer uh, Tristan Risk um, who most people will know American Mary yeah the Betty Book character in American Mary so um, and she was an absolute hoot and really 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 nice uh, um I was going to say girl, she's 22, a woman uh, who is finding her feet in the horror industry just now and get 
getting thrown a ton of parts. So she's going to be huge. Um, I can pretty much foresee that now. And she's, she's really interesting. The conversation weaves around everything to do with uh, you know, our time as like a sideshow performer right through to her career uh, in, in horror at the moment. So it was a really good one. Um, the latest episode of Duncan and Bo Come Correct should be coming up by the time this show comes out. Um, and uh, that should be... That should be interesting. That one was a heavy-weighted drama episode, so don't expect many laughs here, folks. Um, but there's a, the previous episode is also up, so folk can go and check that out as well. And I think that's about it, really. I can't think of anything else. Obviously, I love to do my shout-outs at the end of every episode. So um, all the shows that Jamie's on, so go and check them out. <laughs> especially, especially devour the podcast and especially skeleton crew because like she she said one's on the countdown and the other one's about to kick off with a a retrospective that i can't wait to not only be a part of but uh, to listen to as well because uh, friday 13th is my favorite franchise as well so i'm very much looking forward to that um you got to check out Gary Hill's shows as well. I recently got the opportunity to guest star on his uh, Two Drink Minimum commentaries where we did Demons uh, from the 80s, which is a movie I love oh, so much. So that was a lot of fun. Um, so you need to check out his shows. Of course, Johnny Krug's Kruger Nation podcast. Um, his new episode still to come out, but uh, gives you plenty of opportunity if you've not caught up with the shows yet to go and check them out. Um, you should also be checking out the shows over um, just in general on the Legion Podcast Network. Um, that's where you can find this show. If you don't subscribe directly to it, you can check us out there, um, as well as most of the other shows I've already mentioned. Um, while you're at it, check out the stuff on Horophilia. You've got Skeleton Crew, you've got Banana Laser, you've got Kiss the Goat. Um, which is va- very, very quickly becoming one of my favourite listens to. I think episode four of that has just dropped. Um, you've got the Phantom Zone podcast and you've got Jason Lloyd's very own My Bloody Podcast, um, which is a hoot and a half. Um, lastly, I'm going to throw out a shout because I'm doing it every single show until people check these guys out. Um, it's the Big Horror and Little Podcast. It's Andy and Rachel's husband and wife duo. Um, their episode number three should be coming out very soon if it hasn't already dropped. Um, so you need to check those guys out and give them big love on their Facebook page. Um, Jamie, would you like to say goodbye to the listeners before we close out the show? Sure I would. Goodbye <laughs> to the listeners. <laughs> You're going to do that every time. <laughs> I, keep, I keep threatening to come up with a giant dialogue um, just before I hand it over to you, see if you can memorize it all. But um, I, I almost went with goodbye to the listeners before we close out the show. <laughs> but so what you saying is you cut you some slack. <laughs> what you were saying is you you exactly you're cutting me some slack there. So um, yeah, from myself, Duncan McLeish. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast under the stairs. Thank you to all those that gave me really nice feedback for the one year anniversary show. I hope to entertain you just as much in this new year. Um, as I did in the previous year um, as always you can join the Facebook page just go to Facebook, type in the search bar podcast under the stairs, come over and become part of that close community group there, it's a great laugh, everyone has a lot of fun so there's no reason not to do it um, while you're at it, maybe leave us a little rating on iTunes, it's easy enough to do if you're on any Apple device and you listen to your podcast there, just go straight into the page and leave us a review there like I said before, if it's a good review, the more of them we get, the more likely people that 
peruse the the podcast section there may have an opportunity to bump into this podcast and check us out so um, until the next time I speak to you from under the stairs thank you very much everyone and I'll speak to you soon bye Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. Beware of the blob, it creeps.